we've built using the latest in technology to use artificial intelligence to extract what's working and what's not working in ways that marketers haven't seen before. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have RJ Taylor. RJ is the CEO and founder of Pattern89, an AI platform for digital ads. Well, also, one more thing, RJ Taylor is a 15-year tech and startup veteran. He's led teams at the Exact Target, Salesforce, and other companies before launching Pattern 89. So he's also recognized as one of IBJ's 40 Under 40, and he's also the father of four, and he's also a national champion swimmer and an amateur bird watcher. RJ, how's it going? Great, great. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, yeah, why don't you give us a little background, a little bit more about who you are and and what you do? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, my my background is about 17 years in B2B SaaS, and I got my start at Exact Target when it was really small and grew with that company to lead the mobile team. And uh, then we got acquired by Salesforce as a part of the Salesforce Marketing Cloud and really have stayed at the forefront of mobile tech location-based tech, and now in the field of artificial intelligence, where I started Pattern 89. And, um, you know, like you said, Eric, I, I've, I've got four kids, and I'm married and live here uh, in Indianapolis, which is becoming a little bit of a tech hub in the Midwest, and um, spend my time in some kind of funny ways, but uh, all in really excited about building an AI platform alongside uh, some smart folks here in Indy. Awesome. So what does that mean exactly? Because there's a lot of these, you know, popping up now. It's like we do AI this, we do AI that. So how does Pattern 89 distinguish itself from these other, you know, MarTech companies that claim that they do AI? Yeah, well, you're right. There are tons of, of companies that are popping up. And, you know, I, I liken it to like um, when I first got started in mobile in 2005, everybody was claiming, all right, this is the year of mobile. No, no, this is the year of mobile. And nowadays, if you ask a digital marketer like, hey, tell me about your mobile strategy. And they'll say like, you mean like my strategy? Because you can't have a marketing strategy without it just being inherently mobile. And I think that right now, everybody's trying to distinguish themselves as an AI player because it's new and it's different. And that in the future, like five years from now, we're all just going to be like, oh yeah, AI is an enabling technology in our marketing stack. But today we distinguish ourselves from other solutions that are out there by saying, hey, we're mobile, we're um, AI first. And we built the platform using the latest in AI-based technology, which means that you can save a bunch of time, get even smarter, and stop doing a lot of manual or routine tasks and instead use your human brain to get smarter and differentiate your brand. So it's it's really like an enabling technology, and we single it out as AI because we want to say that we're, we're different than the rest. And we started with a, a strategy to build out this giant data um, set that we call Constellation. And now we have hundreds, almost a thousand brands who have connected their accounts to it. And we've built using the latest in technology to use artificial intelligence to extract what's working and what's not working in ways that 
marketers haven't seen before. So, you know, really that AI moniker is a way that we distinguish ourselves from other solutions that might be talking about like automation or even data science. We want to say that we're, we're um, a level or two beyond that. Right. That's awesome. And so how does it work exactly? Maybe you can give like an example case study. Sure, sure. So the, the platform works by uh, looking at your Facebook and Instagram. We just launched our Google product for display. So it'll look at your Facebook, Instagram ads, um, and then now Google, and identify 2,900 different dimensions about those ads using computer vision and natural language processing and these cool AI-based techniques. So it'll identify what is it about the ad or ad set that's driving the improvement or the decline of the ad set, and then instruct you on how to change it. So uh, a great case study is, do you know the brand Fabletics? The, uh, you know, they're the um, athleisure brand. And we work with a, f- a few different brands uh, in that family of brands. But they use our platform to identify what is it about a set of athleisure ads that's driving the top performance. So is it the, the image is a picture of a, a woman or is it a picture of the product? Is that uh, a single person or are there multiple people in the ad? Is it the multiple people um, because they're smiling or not smiling? And is it the smile, smiling people alongside the headline that's 42 characters or 72 characters? Is it the flame emoji? Are they outside inside? Is it a video? How long is the video? Like all these decisions that go into creative are pretty overwhelming for a human to try to distinguish like what is it about the, um, the, the, the performance of the ad? Well, they use our platform to tell them exactly what it is that's driving the performance of the ad. And they are rapid fire testing shop that tests new stuff almost weekly. And um, they use AI to direct that testing. Awesome. And who, I mean, I'm trying to look, so you talked about Fabletics. I mean, who else would be example kind of marquee clients for you right now? Sure, sure. We, we work with brands ranging from mostly in the e-commerce and the retail space. We work with brands like uh, Finish Line, Frey for Men, Fabletics, Lids, the sportswear group. And, uh, you know, it's kind of two types of customers. One are those born online brands, those D2C brands. And then the others are retailers who are trying to really get a leg up on the e-commerce play. And um, both of those are really great fits for us. Awesome. And so is there a reason you're specifically focusing on kind of B2C, specifically e-commerce versus like uh, you do any B2B work? We do. Um, you know, when we first started Pattern 89, we did some B2B work. But the, the challenge with B2B is that the sales cycle is so long and the attribution model is missing some pieces that like if you've got a lead through a Facebook ad, that that lead may or may not close for like three or six months. And there's so many different touches along the way with the advent of, you know, ABM and other techniques that, you know, it's, it's hard to fa- say like, all right, the Facebook ad that you did six months ago is the one that drove the performance. Whereas I can tell a customer literally that the change they made to a Facebook ad that generated X many purchases the next day was actually attributed to the change that you took from our platform. So it's just about like, where's that uh, feedback loop and how fast is that feedback loop coming back to validate that the AI is working for you? So we're um, we're actually going back into B2B because um, we can provide that same level of feedback loop for things like email signups or for um, just lead submissions, like lead forms, and um, show you how to get, on average, our customers see a 21% lift in their performance when they use Pattern 89. So we can show you, we got a 21% lift from your Facebook and Instagram spend, but it, it won't be a closed contract for B2B, but instead it'll be an email signup or like a, a micro goal along that journey for B2B. But today we're really focused on going after e-commerce and retail because it's that fast feedback loop. 
Okay, and j- just so I, just so I'm clear again, uh, you guys do uh, you guys right now you 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 work on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and now Google Display, correct? Correct. Is there anything else you have coming down the pipeline? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, we had our customer advisory board yesterday and um, talking about uh, all sorts of other channels. Um, customers ask us for, so we don't have any immediate plans to answer your question, Eric, like, you know, like a launch plan. But um, customers ask us for, hey, can you do this for email? Or, hey, can you do the same thing for search? Or can you do it for other programmatic um, ads, et cetera? So um, we're trying to prioritize that right now. But there's so much work to be done just on Facebook, Instagram, and Google that we've got a lot to go on for the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm sure. And- and how, at what point does it make sense for a company to even look at Pattern 89? Is it, you know, amount of spend? Like, what is it exactly? Yeah, typically our customers um, are spending at least 10K a month on Facebook or Instagram. And that makes them a great fit for us because they're spending enough that they care enough about variation in their um, ad strategy and they'll likely have a person that's responsible for that. So we work with some brands that are smaller than that as well, but um, ideally the customer spending at least 10K or, you know, then we've got brands who spend millions a month too. But uh, that 10K a month seems to be a good market for us. Love it. And how do you guys, uh, how do you guys charge? How do you guys make money? Yeah, we have an annual contract and um, our annual contracts uh, start with a 14-day free pilot. So you can see the value of the product and on average customers see a 21% lift. And um, our contracts typically start at a thousand or two thousand or three thousand dollars a month, depending on what your overall ad spend and goals are. Got it. Okay, great. And so one other thing that's kind of you know hitting me right now, I'm thinking like, okay, you know, RJ's working on AI. He's based in Indy, and then you know you you hear you you hear about the war for talent right now. You know, Google, Facebook, you know, Amazon, Microsoft—they're taking all the AI engineers, right? So, how do you get the best AI engineers in India or, or or just on your team in general? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of twofold. One is we are based here in Indianapolis because of um, some of the, um, you know, we uh, at Exact Target we got, got acquired by Salesforce, and the Salesforce Marketing Cloud is actually this. It's the second biggest Salesforce office. There are other companies that have now set up shop in the last ten years here, like Infosys and Genesis and other marketing tech platforms. So there's a lot of good marketing talent just here on the engineering side, and then we're so close to. Purdue University, IU School of Informatics, Rose Holman, which is the number one undergrad engineering school, um, Notre Dame, they're all uh, in the University of Illinois. So we're, you know, we're centrally located in, within two to three hours of um, all of those campuses and recruit there. And we actually find that we get a lot of boomerangs. So folks who went to those schools or grew up in the Midwest who moved out west or east and um, just didn't want the quality of life uh, or the commute. And, um, you know, they, they, turn 28, 29, 30, and they say, hey, I want to do something else and uh, make my dollar go further. So then they come back to Indianapolis. So there actually is quite a bit of great um, talent that's kind of bleeding out of those maybe traditional tech hubs into the quality of life that, you know, Indianapolis uh, provides. So it's been kind of a cool secret weapon of ours, (laughs) which is just you know, lifestyle effectively. But, you know, there, there still is that like uh, competition for the grad, like the the kid that's coming out of um, Purdue, for example, um, they're looking at Indianapolis and comparing it to a really, you know, sexy opportunity with one of those big companies you mentioned on the West Coast. And it's hard to compete saying like, hey, come to Indy because it's great quality of life. Like, no, no, I want to live. I want to, I want to <laughs> like work, work uh, somewhere exciting. But those boomerangs are, are certainly the place that we're finding a lot of success. Awesome. That's great. So, well, move to Indy, guys. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> come on out. <laughs> number, uh, how many customers do you currently have? There are over 650 brands who've connected to um, our, uh, our platform. So, you know, large and small. 
Got it. Okay. So let's just say, how did you go about acquiring your first, let's call it, uh, I don't know, 20 paying customers? Yeah. Well, the the first, it was literally like door to door sales. <laughs> and, um, you know, our, our whole company is based on this giant aggregated data set. And so I went, you know, literally door to door, um, pitching the idea for pattern 89 and that worked. And, um, then we built an automated platform that does a free pilot. So it's just pattern 89.com slash pilot. And now customers can sign up online. So, but it was literally going door to door and uh, connecting and piloting manually um, in the beginning. Okay. And when you're in the very beginning, let's say your first couple of customers, um, you know, you weren't doing the 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 thing. Were you, maybe you were, but were you, you know, substantially discounting to just get people through the door? Like what was going on there? Yeah, we were providing, um, we were acting in a lot of ways like a full service agency where we were helping with creative and strategy and audience development and those types of things on top of um, the software to make up for some of the gaps in the software. Nowadays, customers and agencies um, come to us with all of that already done. Um, and we were also working with a lot smaller customers at that time because they would give us a chance and um, you know take a risk on, on Pattern 89 at that time. So it was kind of like we were acting like this full-service agency that had some software-enabled services, and now we're a full software company. So it was uh, uh, a way to get uh, those early customers just by manual sweat, labor, <laughs> those types of things, yeah. Great. And how big is your data size right now? Yeah, so we have, as I mentioned, we have over 650 brands who have connected. There's 5 billion in revenue, and um, we have about 100 billion of impressions that our algorithms go through on a daily basis. So it's this giant data set that has all sorts of cool um, opportunities that emerge on a daily basis and inform our customers. We have, we have this product that we call the console, and it's our to-do list. And um, on average, customers tend you know take four to seven minutes to go through that to-do list on a daily basis, and it's um, really predicated on all that data that is being analyzed by all of the algorithms, and it's it's um, it's growing at about fifteen percent um, every month. So it's really really growing. Wow. Okay. And obviously, you know, the more data you have, the more useful your platform is. Yes, exactly. Great. So what else are you doing that's working really well in terms of customer acquisition today? Referrals is really working for us. You know, there's so much hype out there about AI and so much noise and that we've actually found the best way to find new customers is through customer referrals. And um, so encouraging, incenting, and just appreciating our customers for referring business is the number way that number one way that we're finding new business and kind of cutting through all that clutter. We don't have the budget really to go and compete with all of the noise that's out there online as well as in all the different shows. So, um, you know, kind of that referral network is, is the way that we find the best, um, play. And then we find, um, other business through like influencers or uh, like marketing influencers, as well as, uh, we do some, um, actually ads on Facebook and Instagram using our own software. And, um, those are typically, uh, in addition to other efforts though. Got it. Okay, great. Well, yeah, and, and the other thing too is, um, you know, my 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 team has been using it. Um, you know, thanks to RJ for hooking it up a little bit, and you know, we've been testing it out, and you know, they they've been uh, talking about it over and over, just you know, in, in random conversations. I'll like walk by and they'll be talking about Pattern eighty nine. So uh, you know, apparently it's working really well. Awesome, great, great, great. So that's you know another plus one from over here. Now I want to start to switch gears here. Uh, has there been any type of struggles that you faced while growing Pattern eighty nine, even though it's fairly young right now? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, we retired our first version of the product, which is a big one. 
And um, when we first started Pattern 89, it was actually a product that was an experimentation platform and would create dozens or hundreds of versions of Facebook and Instagram ads, as well as Twitter, Pinterest, uh, LinkedIn, and Reddit. And you would input creative as well as um, some headlines, and then we would auto-create dozens or hundreds of versions of those ads um, and then launch them for you. So it was like this big experiment machine and it was really sexy and cool and demoed really well and customers were all excited about it. But what we found is that marketers weren't using it and um, they said they wanted to use it, but at the end of the day they didn't. And instead they wanted the answer from the experiment more than the experiment itself, Um, which is of course what I want too. And so we were building up our data set and our AI around that data set to say, all right, what is the answer? And we found at about a year in, we could tell customers what the answer was without them having to go through the pain of creating the experiment. So we sunsetted our first product, which was a big, painful, you know, like you kill your darlings type thing. And uh, we then sunset that product. We um, launched uh, the new iteration of the product, which is what we've got today, and it's you know off and running. So that's a big, big learning um, around you know just having to like spend a year basically creating and then launching and then sunsetting a product uh, was a big lift and painful sunset, but the right thing to do for the business. And how long did it take you? Uh, how long were you working on the first version of the product? A year. A year. So it's, it's kind of, um, and how did your team react? How did you feel when you had to kind of, well, you're not undoing a year's worth of work, but kind of say goodbye to, you know, what you worked on for, I, I guess, 365 days? Yeah. Well, I mean, ev- everybody was what, like, you know, wh- why what, uh, everyone was concerned. It, it, well, I mean, there, there was, well, it's kind of like half and half, right? Like a lot of the people in, in the company were, had been looking at the data and the analytics about the utilization of the product and be like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to continue to try to drive this product forward. And like some of our board members were like, wait, why, why would we sunset this gorgeous, well-designed, it was a product that had this like sexy chat bot feel to it and um, did a lot of cool work and it just demoed really well. And I think there was some disheartened, attitudes towards it but you know ultimately when you look at the data the data says this is what customers really want and we're going to build on top of what we've done and we also had at that time piloted some customers with the new iteration of the product and so we had the proof to say hey this is what customers really want this is the result these are the results that we can get to from um from the new product and so it was it was like a week of kind of like man what is what is this and then after that week it was like just full steam ahead and we actually accelerated the sunset of the of the pro, of the old product because customers were latching onto the new one so quickly so um, it was the right decision for the business and um, right decision just overall but there was a little bit of pain great so follow the data is what I'm hearing yeah oh yeah totally yeah it's uh, yeah one of the biggest things. <laughs> I learned for sure. Yeah, I mean that that's something similar to what we did with the uh, ClickFlow, um, the, the software that I have. Basically, we built the 1.0 version and then realized, holy crap! Based on all the feedback, we gotta we, we gotta kind of scrap it and throw it away. But you wouldn't have gotten to where you are now without the first version, right? So I think credit is still due. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the um, hindsight's 2020. Or like, should we have not done that in the first place? And the answer is, we had to to get to where we are. So I I, I totally agree and. You've been through the pain, it sounds like, Eric. <laughs> yep, no, totally. I know what it feels like. Yeah, it's necessary to level up there. Um, okay, so what is one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value to your life? So it can't be your own tool, uh, but an example might be like a Peloton bike. 
Oh, like my personal? Or or like an app. It could be a physical tool or it could be like a, you know, mobile app. Can I say the bus? Yeah, sure. The bus. Tell me more. The, I mean, it's it's sort of that way. Like Indianapolis is not known for its transportation, but it's for its public transportation. And we're a car town, you know, like a lot of everybody takes the car. And because it's, you know, relatively easy, but I um, found that I didn't really have any personal time. Um, you mentioned I've got four kids, I'm married, you know, startup, everything. It's kind of nuts. So in driving to and from work, I would schedule calls. And so I'd just be working all the time. And um, instead of I've um, inserted, I, I guess it's kind of a, a half answer, but like the bus, I take the bus to work and from work. And that's my reading time. And that's kind of my cool off time and my think time. So it's been a great tool for for me personally that works. That's like, uh, you know, how it's going to be in the future with AI self-driving cars. So it's, it, you're kind of semi-automated right now. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. you just brought something to my mind too. I mean, I'm like, okay, I don't have any kids right now, not married. And so I'm thinking, okay, how in the world does RJ manage this startup that's growing and then manage, you know, the family life too? So how do, how do you work out your schedule there where you're saying... Yeah, well, you know, I, I get up early. I get up at about five and I work early. And from about five to eight thirty or so is, you know, I'm just working and working and thinking and working. And then uh, I get home at six and dinner and bedtime. And then I may work a little bit more, but I go to bed early and I get up early. So that's like the biggest thing. And then I hide my phone um, at least one day on the weekends. <laughs> so Got it. Just, you know, just disconnect because I've I got four kids under seven and um, I, I you know, want to spend time with them. And it's it's so hard to, to do because you're so plugged in or whatever. But those are the kind of the two things I think is just getting up early and using that time to really focus because it's think time and uh, work time. Um, in addition, you know, the day kind of gets away from you and then finding at least a day on the weekend just to cancel out. Those are the those are the two things that I do. And then constant negotiation with my wife right <laughs> to make sure i'm respecting her and and our family too so right and what time do you sleep at i go to bed around nine okay my wife jokes that like i basically make sure that the kids are in bed and then i go to sleep so that like i have been known to go to bed before eight <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have to stay up after eight <laughs> same here i actually i mean I, I do that too sometimes i don't know man but yeah okay cool um that's helpful and how about one must read book you'd recommend to the audience I, there's a book called The Book of Why by Judea Pearl that I've described it to other folks as like if Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about AI. So it's like understandable, but kind of, I mean, maybe it's, it's, there's some like heavy concepts in there about causation and like, I, I just, I think it's a great way for, for everybody to understand AI in a lot better way because your listeners are probably thinking about AI in some way and everybody has like a version of what AI is or isn't. And I found that like even my understanding of AI really changed by understanding some of the core concepts more clearly and where we are on the spectrum of advancement. And what I really learned from that book is that we're just at the beginning, like very much at the beginning. And um, it helps me have better conversations with our data science team, as well as with our engineers and um, even with the marketers that we sell to. So the book of why by Judea Pearl, I think is really, um, is my go-to right now. That's awesome. And are you, are you technical by nature? Well, I've been in product for for 16 years, but I have an English degree and a master's in English. So yes and no. 
I guess. <laughs> no, that, that, that's super helpful. So what could, um, you know, what can people that maybe don't have a technical background from college do? So, I mean, reading sounds good. Uh, what else should they be reading to become more competent with um, kind of what's going on with, um, you know, AI slash machine learning, et cetera? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I do think it's reading. I think that's like the, the hack because people don't read anymore. They're like skimmers, you know, and we're like tweet culture where we just read a tweet or a post or something. And then we're like, oh, yeah, AI. But actually taking the time to read, I think, is a way to get it's, you know, it's not it's not so far gone. uh, It's so, so technical that I can't understand it. And I you can become an expert in a field just by reading and then writing about it. Right. So if you're not technical, you can write about it. And the process of writing forces you to make sure that you understand it in a way that you can write it back. So blogging, case studies, white papers, that type of stuff is um, how you can claim understanding of it. And then the third thing is coding schools or hacking around in the code yourself, make sure it's a protected environment that you're not screwing everything else up. But like, um, rather than asking our you know, head of engineering a question, instead, I can go into Metabase and ask the query myself, you know, those types of things like, you know, I'll never be the data scientist that you want writing the, the algorithm, but, um, you know, understanding how it works to a level through reading, writing, and then actually like hacking around a little bit helps me to have better conversations and to direct uh, the, the, the team in the right ways too. Awesome. And how, um, final question from my side, just out of curiosity, um, you know, you mentioned you're hiring people from India, I guess, where, um, are there any online job boards or anything like that, that you'd recommend if people wanted to go find data scientists? Well, I think going to data science, um, clubs and, or getting in with your local universities, um, data science team, or like uh, we have a, we we um, are in with the IU Informatics Group. Um, that's the way to do it. And um, all three of the folks who work on our team, from a data science perspective, one is a cognitive biologist, one is an astronomer, and one is a high frequency trader. So they don't come from our field per se, like marketing tech or ad tech. Instead, they come from another field. So the way you can find those people is by getting involved with the going to Purdue and finding the data science club or. And, and I think a lot of those people don't even know, like those data scientists don't know that there's a application of their uh, data science skills outside of their field. And, you know, there's more money and uh, oftentimes more money and more opportunity and a level of expertise that they can bring to outside of their field. So that, that's what I would say is maybe skip the job boards because there's a lot of competitive there and instead like find a data science professor who sponsors a data science club or the data science team at a local university and go and show up and bring pizza. Oh, I love that. Yeah, bring pizza and then uh, instead of having to pay a couple hundred bucks for a job post, uh, you'll get uh, you'll get your data science candidates. Oh, yeah. Cool, that's awesome. Well, RJ, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Um, we're pattern89.com and um, I'm RJ at pattern89.com too. So we'd love to hear from you. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.